0: Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member
1: John Graybeal, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Now, here's John. Welcome to the show for August 14th, 2019. I am just arrived in El Paso. Last week, I got to do a phone interview with Britt Casey Jr., We tried a new system for uh, audio recording where it is recorded on both ends. We had a little trouble. Uh, The upload was lost. We found it. Britt Casey, I must say, was an absolute prince and completely understanding and very helpful to recover the audio so we did not have to do the interview twice. What a, a very interesting interview! He's a young man who's sponsored and supported from the Audubon Country Club, who's doing fantastic things in the world of motorsports. We had a lot of racing going on this weekend. Uh, the Graybill family went out and kart raced, minus my daughter. She had a, another event to go to. My son had the best race of his life, and uh, my wife and I, we ran in the open division for the uh, karting race this weekend, and for the second time, she won She did fantastic, and she was on the podium at first, and I was on uh, third, so I don't know if that's the first husband and wife podium at the Audubon Country Club. It's the first one that I have seen, so it was kind of neat. We had a great weekend out there, a lot of training, a lot of practicing, and we get to do it again this next weekend. So without further ado, here is Britt Casey Jr. on the Audubon Country Club podcast. All right. Today on the podcast, we have Britt Casey Jr. How are you today? Bad, John. How about yourself? I'm good. Where Where are you today in the world?
0: Um, so I am in northwest suburbs of Chicago, uh, but I will be soon driving back to school to move in um, in Oxford, Ohio at at Miami University. So that's uh, about a week and a half out, but still home in the
1: meantime. All right, is, is that where you grew up up there in the west sub uh, northwest suburbs there?
0: Yep, mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, I went to uh, I went to Barrington High School. Um, graduated in 2016, and now I'm in college at uh, Miami University. So um, over the summers, I'm usually home still, but obviously during the
1: semesters, I'm away. So what what are you studying in in college?
0: So <clears throat> um, I am a marketing major at Miami University. Um, I'm in the business school. And, uh, I'm going into my senior year, like I said, so, uh, theoretically seeing the light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Well, congratulations. That's nice. Have, have you enjoyed the university there and the, and, and the, the town and stuff?
0: Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's Oxford, Ohio is the town that it's, that the university is located in. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really cool place. Um, small little college town in Ohio. Um, and the business school is I just say to people, it was hard to get into and it's hard to stay in. So, um, you know, definitely <laughs> time well spent, I think.
1: And how many people, well, first of all, why is it called Miami university?
0: All right. So I'll, I'll give you the, the full spiel. So <laughs> my Miami university also known as Miami of Ohio, um, was founded in 1809. Um, it's a public Ivy school and, um, it was, founded right as there was a big push to the west um, from the colonial era or area. Um, And the Miami tribe, the Native American tribe was, uh, there were a lot of of tribe members in that area. And the the river just south of of the university is called the Miami River. So it's just 45 minutes north of Cincinnati and about 10 minutes east of the Ohio-Indiana border. So um, yeah, right in the Midwest.
1: How many people think that you're going to school in Florida?
0: If I had a dollar, uh, (laughs) a lot. Yeah. So I have to give them the the full kind of rundown about it. Like the one I just gave you and, uh, and then people kind of get a better understanding, but there are a lot of people in, in, uh, Chicago area that go to Miami. So, um, it's
1: not too uncommon. Okay, good, good. And uh, so how did you, how did you get into racing or what was your first uh, experience that you're did your dad race, or yep. how so did that come around? When
0: I was uh, really little, I was racing dirt bikes. Um, when I was, I think, age seven to ten. So, uh, and then when I was ten, uh, my dad was a member at Autobahn and had already been driving his stuff there, um, which would be, I believe, in GT, one of the GT classes in, in the in the racing series, the member racing series. Um, and I got into go karts and was at the go kart track at Autobahn. Uh, very frequently. And I actually, they, they decided to start a racing series way back then. Um, this was like 13 years now, I'd say about 11 years ago. Um, they had a little karting championship and I ended up winning that at the club. So I am the first, uh, junior sportsman class champion at Audubon country club. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! And then when I was 13, uh, again, still, still at the club. Um, I got the opportunity to um, essentially move up to cars under uh, direct supervision of, of Tom Bagley and Tony Kester, the you know obviously the instructors at the club. Um, so they kind of gave me a little bit of an exemption just based on how much racing I'd been doing in the past, and um, they saw I wasn't an idiot, and you know I really was serious about driving. So they respected that even at at that age to to give me a, a opportunity to just start racing in the spec Miata series, um, at Autobahn in 2012, I believe. And 20. And you were 13, um, 13. Yeah. So I, I was from, from age 13, uh, to age 15 ish. I was basically at the club, uh, most weekends in the summer. And I'd say roughly half the weekends of the year, uh, just putting in laps or working on the Spec Miata stuff and, and just getting faster and faster. Um <clears throat> and then in 20 2013, i I might have my dates incorrect, uh, but I know for a fact in 2013 um I was runner-up to Matt Alexander in the Spec Miata Championship. So and then the next year after that, um I got a test with uh an MSAT team, basically, which was really, really cool. Um and they thought you know, I was fast enough to really consider some races at the IMSA level. And, uh, it's just kind of been, uh, all, all, you know, forward from there. It's, it's been really cool. Uh, but it's a, it's a cool story too. And it ties back to the club 100,000%. I mean, it, it is totally, uh, what the club is about. I mean, it helped me become a really, really good driver really, really fast. And, uh, you know, I have a lot to owe to it for sure. Okay.
1: So let's go back and what kind of uh, KTM are you riding?
0: 50 and a KTM 65 SX.
1: Okay. So you are doing that at, at like Juliet yep. and Byron and it's exactly different, different yes. places around. Yeah. I just, uh, you might hear my son go by. He just got a CFR one fifty R. So he just moved up to you know, a four stroke race bike, that's the Honda little race bike. There's no racing for exactly for that, but he just, he broke, he got it in the first weekend he broke oh, the clutch man. uh lever on it. And uh, so he just got it in the mail and he nice. went out and fixed it. And <laughs> I hear him zipping up and down, zipping up. we got a motocross track in our
0: oh, in our sweet. backyard
1: here. So we'll see if we'll see what he breaks today when Very he comes cool. back, but um he hasn't done any racing, uh, any motorcycle racing. We've uh, dislimited that to carts right now, but he would love to be a, uh, motocross racer, yeah, supercross racer, something like that. That would, was, that was that. kind of
0: my initial plan too. When I was a little kid, you know, Ricky Carmichael and, and James Stewart and Chad Reed, you know, those guys I totally looked up to when I was watching, uh, motocross and supercross on TV. And, uh, that stuff is super cool. I still think it's super cool. I just, you know, uh, kind of made more sense.
1: Oh yeah, we're we're huge. Yeah, I mean, it fans. just made more
0: sense for me to get on four wheels. I think, and you know, so far so good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> After motorcycle racing, what what carts were you racing at the time at the at the club? They obviously didn't have the spec, uh you know, ignite series they have now. What yep. what kind yeah, of carts were you racing? Good
0: question. So I was racing a, a Corsa racing cart chassis, um and it was a junior sportsman class. So. It had the air-cooled KT100 motors, um, just 100cc Yamaha two-strokes, and raced that at, uh, like, MRP, um, the track in uh, just west of here. I forget the name. Uh, South Bend. Not not South Bend.
1: Yeah, right outside of South Bend. Yeah, well,
0: there's that one, and then there's also the uh, Norway Karting Place. That's that's Mm -hmm. the name of it, um, out west of here.
1: Yeah, that's yep. concept mm-hmm. haulers, I think. Is what, yep, and then what at the mod as well. So you were doing a little bit of traveling and uh, your dad was learning how to, was he Was, was he your mechanic and coach yeah, and everything so my, at my that time? My
0: dad comes from a, a mechanical background also uh, and racing background. You know, he's kind of been in racing in and out uh, for most of his life. He was on a couple of race teams um, when he was around the college age and I think a little bit of high school too. Um, so he, he knows how to work on cars, uh, for sure. We do all of our own work at the, at the racetrack. Um, you know, we don't, we don't really use the the prep shops at, at the track sometimes or most of the time, just because we're, we're pretty fluent with, with how to work on stuff. Um, and he was definitely wrenching on the karting stuff as well and dirt bikes.
1: Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not so great with either one, but I'm, I'm trying my, my uncle who used to own the, uh, Yamaha, shop in town back in the seventies came over and helped my son and his buddy work on another dirt bike we have. And I just yeah. got out of the way. So they had that in, in pieces and I went in the garage and opened the door and saw it in pieces and closed right. the door and walked away. Right. So they, but, but, uh, my 15 year old son's pretty, uh, uh, he, he's ready to jump in anything with Sweet. a wrench. And so I'm, I am pretty fortunate on that. So he, he does race carts too. So he's, he's going to have his first race next uh, of this month all by himself was mom's going to be there, but I will not be there for, for the first time or with any factory <laughs> support for him. So we'll see how it goes. And, um, I'm Very sure, cool. I'm sure it'll be fine. So, uh, so tell us about, um, so you're 13, 14 years old and you're driving around with Tom, Tom Bagley, who, uh, um, you know, the legendary Tom Bagley. And, and how was that? Did, they, did you have to modify the, the Miata for you to fit in? Was this the same one your dad was driving or did he get, did he get you a, a, you guys get a different car sure. for you? How'd that work? Um,
0: so no, my, my dad races, uh, in the GT challenge series. Um, he has a Trans Am car, uh, TA2 Camaro. Yep. Oh, so if you okay. ever see a, okay. a blue, silver okay. and, and neon orange, uh, Camaro, that is insanely loud, uh, and sounds insane, it's probably his. And it's, <laughs> it's one of the, the prettiest cars at the track, in my opinion, because we, we keep up on it big time. Um, So at the time he was racing another V eight stock car two frame type race car. Um, that's what he joined the club with. Um, it was essentially it's essentially was a converted, uh, oval chassis to a road course chassis. And then a few years later, um, we had we had the, uh, TA two Camaro come in and replace that one. So the, the spec Miata was, um, another addition to the garage, um, that, that we were with just, just I for see, me. Um, and yeah, Tom and, and Tony, both of them were, were key in, uh, in getting me up to speed with, with a car I had understood, you know, racing carts with the basic idea of driving like apexes, how to brake how to catch a slide, how to have fast reaction time and, you know, feel the, feel the cart working. Um, those carting is great. Cause it teaches those basics. Um, but when you get in, into a, a race car, a, a real, you know, car, basically it, that was a street car, but turned into a race car. Um, they tend to be easier to fit in. Um, you know, Miata is a smaller, a smaller car. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't too little for it. Obviously the, the seat was pretty close to the wheel and pretty up high, but, um, you know, no biggie there. But I think the biggest thing that, you know, people that are trying to get into race cars from carts, um, the biggest change is just how much weight you're dealing with in the car um, you know, the, the weight is probably mm. tenfold in a, okay. in a race car that you're managing where, rather than, you know, at a 200 pound go-kart. Um, everything happens a little bit slower in a race car because the suspension components are longer. Um, there's actual springs and shock absorbers that are working and, you know, your brake zones are going to be significantly longer, um, in a, in a race car than in a cart, uh, cause there's a lot more weight to slow down. So, it, it teaches the basics of uh, karting does for sure. Um, but you know, karting two cars is a different driving style, but you, t- you carry over the same basics of how to drive fast on a racetrack. It's just your, your tool for driving fast, which is the vehicle you're in is, is going to be different. So, um, you know, it was definitely something to learn.
1: Where'd you end up finding the Miata? Did you buy that on the track? Or did you get that someplace? Nope. Did you build uh, the whole car yourself? Good
0: old racing junk.com. And Purchase one uh from a team in the southeast <laughs> that does some some national series. Um, and then we actually sold that one. It was that was a one point six liter 1990 uh NA roadster Miata. And then we got uh actually another member of the club, Bill Keeley. Uh he had a spec Miata that was a an NB nineteen ninety-nine with a one point eight liter uh engine and the upgraded differential. And we purchased that from him. Uh, my dad is really close friends with, uh, I call him Uncle Bill because they were, they were friends before either one of them joined the club. So we go way back with them. And he sold okay. us a 99 and gave us a friend price. And, and that was a car that
1: we took forward. Nice. And did you find a lot of difference in in the 90 to yeah, 1999? Yeah,
0: so that's, that's a big debate um, within the Spec Miata compu- com- community. Uh, I think overall... <laughs> both cars have their strengths and weaknesses, right? I mean, one is going to be easier on tire, which is the 90. Uh, so for enduro races, you know, it is going to wear tire a little bit less just because it weighs a little bit less. Um, but the 99 is easier to recover from mistakes just because it has a little more power, a little more torque. And, uh, the car drives better when it's on the throttle because the differential is a little bit tighter. So, um, but you are dealing with a little bit more weight. So there's, there's a catch 22, um, uh, and the the 1999 is a little bit larger inside, so it's not as cramped in a, from the driver's perspective. Um, but you know, there there are positives and negatives to both for sure.
1: And how long? So uh, so when you started taking coaching lessons, how are going to talk? When you started driving, how soon before they let you go by yourself? Was this it was all summer? Your first summer, you were with somebody, or that, was it pretty quickly that you? Uh, they said, okay, yeah, so go ahead, I started, have fun.
0: Uh, doing you know, one-on-ones with Tony and Tom, um, in the spring of 2011. Uh, and I did my first race, uh, sometime in June of that year. So, um, you know, I hadn't made any mistakes before that. And, you know, they thought I was, I was good enough just to, just to try out a race and, and it it went, ended up doing pretty well. Um, and Tony always said I had two strikes against me just because of my age. So I kind of respected, respected that advice because it's true. I mean, when you're, when you're that young, you know, you you gotta make sure you're not doing anything dumb. So I didn't.
1: (laughs) How was the first race? Were you, so yeah, so pretty quickly, I guess you were probably by yourself just going out there lapping. How were, um, were you intimidated or or nervous at all your first race or just ready to get at it? Like it was just a regular cart race and didn't, didn't bother you. I was pretty nervous.
0: Uh, for sure. I was most mostly nervous about the start, and, you know, my, my goal for the first race, uh, was to not get lapped and I didn't get lapped and I also didn't spin or anything. So I think I qualified somewhere in the last 10 cars, uh, but I volunteered just to start from the back, uh, just cause that obviously was going to make sense. I wasn't going to win the race. So might as well just learn as much as possible. Um, and it was pretty nerve wracking at first. I remember, um, you know, thinking, thinking back on probably how I felt about races at that age versus now, um, I was definitely more nervous back then.
1: Yeah, I can, I, I can imagine that. I remember I I don't have my race license. So I I do remember even my first chase race that I went out there nice and slow and everybody said, it'll be fine. And then on the, literally the last four corners, there was I was surrounded by ten <laughs> cars every corner, and I said, "This is not how this is supposed to work." I mean, it is theoretically how it's supposed to work, but it's right. not how I wanted it to work on yeah. my first race. <laughs> oh well, that's pretty cool. So then, so you raced that that year, and then was it the next full year that um, you ended up getting second in the championships, or was it, it that was, year? Uh, so
0: 2011, uh, you know, I just was starting to learn racing, and by the end of the year, I think I was starting to be in the top 10 cars. And then the year after that, we got that 99 and really tuned it up and just got the whole thing figured out. And then in 2013 um, was the year that I finished second in the championship with, with the other car. So it took about a year and a half uh, to kind of, you know, have the car figured out and, and really figure out how to drive fast at the front. I mean, it's the typical story of just getting seat time, um, that's that's the name of the game with any race car. You just need to fam- familiarize with, with how the car works and how it handles and uh, how deep you can brake. You know, can you give up time here, give up time there, gain time here, gain time there? Um, it just takes laps. You just got to test and tune yourself.
1: Was that – were you working – I know Tony works a ton with dad. Or was that something you guys were doing too is taking dad and looking at that and seeing – and seeing how you could you could shave time with that, or was that something that was, was yeah? Still for me, new. it was new.
0: Um, I really didn't get heavily into data analysis um, until I started with the IMSA stuff. I knew how to read it, um, but I didn't. We didn't have any data collection in the car uh, to evaluate, so it was kind of doing it off of feel and just reviewing video uh, from time to time after the events. You know that that was always handy. Um, but we I wasn't strictly looking at data uh, at the time, but it, it is, you know, data collection and data analysis is a really big deal. I mean, really big deal, especially at the professional level. Um, the, the whole team kind of runs off data, the engineers and the drivers. So uh, being able to understand that is 100 uh, percent, probably a
1: thousand percent necessary. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, we we run a lot of data in. You know, for my whole family, so I have four people in my family. So we all we all race carts and it's just a, my daughter's 12. So she's the only one that's not actually in a car yet also. But we do try to look at data a lot. And we've my son and I have been to a couple seminars trying to figure data out. And you almost need a full-time engineer to, to take it all in. There's are so, even from our little carts and the little micron system we have on our Carts. there's just there's so much so i can only imagine when you get to a car when you're reading so much data from i'm sure tire pressure temperatures roll you know and in, in addition to all the acceleration points mm-hmm. G's, braking right <laughs> um and 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 exactly. engine data right so so we don't even there's no some people do read a little cylinder head temp off the the uh, briggs and strat four stroke we run but it, you can't do anything about it so it's not super valuable and it's air cooled mm-hmm. so it is what it is yeah
0: yeah with the, <laughs> so, the so with the driver uh data it's a little bit separate from the engineer data um you know the engineers are looking at uh for example you know this year the car i'm driving is a, a audi rs3 lms uh in the tcr class of imsa and that car is turbocharged so for example, you know things that engineers want to look at with a turbocharged car is the lambda sensors. Um, they need to figure out, you know, what the exhaust is.
1: Exhaust. Okay, so, okay, so, all right, stop. Oh, you're getting may confused. Maybe may rewind. Rewind that. There was about seventeen acronyms there yeah. that we probably <laughs> kind of want to go. Kind of want to. Kind of want to go over. So, well, okay. So hold that thought for just a second. Let's just because I don't absolutely want to dive into that. You brought up some fantastic points and i I think it's super valuable and super interested in so let's go back to how you got there so you were in how how did you go test for the 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 team how did you get to the imsa type imsa i don't even know what that i know what it is but what does it say international motor sports association so
0: uh, imsa is part of nascar holdings um the nascar company is the, the the overall mothership that owns imsa um but imsa stands for international motorsport association So, uh, they're based in Daytona beach, Florida. Um, it's a professional endurance sports car series in North America. Um, they hold all the premier endurance races stateside. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how, you know, that's kind of where I am now. Um, the way I got there, uh, it was simply due to people I knew that knew other correct people, um, that meet that basically, connected me with the correct people, um, on the IMSA side. And, uh, it, it, the direct connection was with Mazda. Um, you know, Mazda likes to look at their whole lineage of drivers where they came from. Um, and, you know, I started out in Mazdas and they really liked the story, uh, especially with the Autobahn, which is a big spec me out of field for Mazda, um, in the U S and they looked at me and, uh, they had me in a test at Road Atlanta. I had never been there before. And um, I think it did well enough. So they, they offered me uh, a couple options for races during the year. And I was able to, to get the budget together uh, to go and do those races. And, it's, and then the next year after that was a half season with Mazda. The team is called Freedom Autosport. Um, big Mazda MX5 team at what the time was Imsa Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. Did mm-hmm. a full season in 2016, full season in 2017. And then last year, I uh, made the move to Audi, uh, Audi Sport, with the TCR cars and in, in still the Imsa Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, but in a new class called TCR. And uh, this year, that was with Compass Racing last year, which is a team based in Canada. And then this year, uh, I'm still with Audi, and I've driven for a couple of different teams in both SRO and IMSA. Currently, I just got back this this week from Road America, and I, that team was JDC Miller Motorsports, uh, which is based in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. <laughs> so, okay, so what, first of all, what makes an enduro race? What What's the difference between, you know, how long does a race have to be to be a, a, this IMSA enduro type? Sure. Show? What, what does that <clears throat> Curtail out when they're mm-hmm. a race to an um, so race? So, in
0: IMSA, uh, the IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge specifically, the races are either two hours or four hours. Um, there's not a specific lap number you need to hit. It's not like a 50 lap race. It's instead a two hour race or a four hour race, depending on the event. There are 10 races per year, and there's multiple drivers in the car. I think that's the biggest, biggest, uh, biggest detail to, to tell you. Um, there's also full pit stops with tire changes fuel, uh, fuel refills and driver change all happening at the same time. Um, and the, the pinnacle series, which is weather tech sports car championship. They're doing the events like the Daytona 24, uh, petite Le Mans, Sebring 12 hour and the six hours of Watkins Glen. Uh, they go all over the country from California to Canada, to Florida, to New York. Uh, racing at, they're racing at the biggest, most infamous tracks in, in North America.
1: Wow. So how many, like in a two hour race, Uh, how many drivers are there?
0: Yep. You can have three, but typically it's just two. Two.
1: And you're driving an hour and then the other driver, or do you go like 30 minutes or how many, how do you do the change? So there are
0: rules, uh, for that. There's a minimum drive time requirement, which is 40 minutes, which essentially means each driver has to have a minimum of 40 minutes in the car before the race is done. And when you pit for that driver change, it completely depends on the track, completely depends on the fuel burn rate and tire degradation. It, it's all, it's real strategy. Um, you know, they're not at all sprint races where you're just hammered down until the end. There's a lot of strategy that goes into it. Um, full course yellows tend to play a part big time and, you know, the, the penalty sequence and the the ship of, of IMSA Um, you know, there are cameras in every corner. There are five ish race stewards that are watching the race at all times to give out penalties when they need to happen. Um, and the whole race is being analyzed electronically, uh, through the timing and scoring for everyone to view. Um, and so there, there is definitely a lot that goes into a a
1: Michelin pilot race. And do you, do you sit down with the team to form a strategy with, are you involved in that or is the, the head coach or. Uh, principal, I'm not sure what you guys call them there, or, or are they trying to do that? Is it a whole team meeting? Say, I'm going to drive this long and we're going to try to switch out there. Or how, how does that all, sure. Strategy uh, all so work? Sure.
0: So like I said, it depends mostly on your, on your fuel number. You know, the, ideally you, you can last about an hour on fuel, but sometimes it's a little less. Sometimes it's, it's a little more, again, totally dependent on what track you're at. But the way those conversations go is we just have a strategy meeting in, in the transporter with all the engineers, both drivers and the spotter slash strategist. And, uh, we basically talk through the race scenario, you know, what we think is going to happen, what are, and, and basically bring up a couple of hypotheticals on, okay, if there's a caution at this point, what do we do? Um, do we stay out? Do we, do we take a, a short fill on fuel and, you know, gamble and hope there's a caution later in the race so we can make it home on fuel um, and that all goes down in, in the transporter with, with all the engineers and drivers. And, and like I said, spotter slash strategist. So uh, how many people are on a team? Uh, so it's roughly, uh, six people per car. And, and most of the teams in IMSA are two, two person teams. So I'd say roughly 15, 15 staff per, per r- race weekend.
1: Oh, wow. Holy cow. And th- that's huge. And so you, so you have a spotter, is that spotter like in the spotting tower And he's he's looking at or is he looking at video to to, uh, uh, that's being played or how how does he how does that he or she how do they do that?
0: Our spotter, uh, his name is Chris Long, and he actually is uh, one of the engineers at Chip Ganassi Racing in Concord, North Carolina uh, with the NASCAR shop. So he's one of the in-house engineers for for all of that program. He kind of oversees everything. He's probably the best spotter in all of IMSA uh, with with any spotter options out there. Um, he is on it every single time. and he will stand depending on the track. He knows all the best locations that are you know good for the, the best or, or most common passing zones and, and usually areas where you can see most of the track. Um, we don't really have spotting towers. you know the only place we have that is, is pretty much just Daytona, which we race at in January. Um, that's the only stadium style race track that we go to. Everything else is, is more similar to a, a road America layout where there's trees and you, you can't see the whole track.
1: Um, but you can see certain large portions. Oh, Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and, and, and your spotter, I'm, I'm assuming is telling you what's going on in, the, in front of you and behind you and, and trying to, formulate is he the no, only one on so the radio is
0: definitely feeding me any information um any information that i may need really he's he's feeding me information before i need to ask for it essentially which is a really big deal when the driver doesn't have to think about certain things and you just have someone telling you before you even you know need to think about asking over the radio um and the other end of the radio uh has the spotter's as well as the engineers on pit lane all, all listening. So we're, we're in constant communication at least
1: two or three times a lap. So you're usually coming in. So the, the races are Saturday, Sunday, or is there multiple races in a weekend or is it just one because they're yep, so single, long? Or how does that work? Event,
0: uh, either two hour, four hour race. Uh, typically we race on a Friday or a Saturday uh, again, depending on the event. Uh, but it's, it basically follows the entire same schedule as, as the other IMSA series. <clears throat> and uh, there's usually a test day, then there's a practice and qualifying day and then race day. So, you know, usually three or four days, but sometimes two, uh, totally depends on the event and logistics.
1: And so are you, uh, and you're able to do this while you're going to school and you're able to get, you know, get your schedule squared or do you have many races? And yeah, uh, while you're in school? I
0: definitely have races when I'm in school, which is, it, it makes school tougher for sure. Uh, but Uh, You know, it's just a different situation that a lot of other people, well, majority of other people don't experience. um, But I'm essentially gone the same amount as, you know, what a collegiate athlete would be gone, if not a little bit more um, with, you know, meetings and stuff that you have to fly out for. Uh, But, yes, I definitely do have races during the school year. I'd say probably six or seven per per year. um, And, you know, hopefully you're going to graduate this
1: year. So to won't have to deal with that anymore. Uh, are you doing any preparation for this? Do you do sim racing? Or are you doing, uh, do you get on racing to go to the, over yeah, the tracks I mean, or a little bit.
0: Um, do you anything you know, like that? I think I racing has definitely gone, uh, to upper levels. You know, it, it is, uh, definitely more advanced now more than ever in terms of how close it is to real racing. But I think nothing beats being at the racetrack in, in real life. Um, you know, you get to see, and, and I do a lot of driver coaching and, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a Autobahn instructor as well. So I'm around racetracks multiple times a week. Um, and I think, you know, real life experience cannot be beat. Um, you know, being able to feel things in the car, you know, yeah. Driving a lap fast is, is really, really important for sure, but you need to know how to diagnose mechanical problems with the car. Um, you'll never get that in sim racing and you'll never get changing light conditions um, in, in sim racing in the same way you would in real life. And also on a, on a sim, the, the tracks are definitely very, very, very close, but a track changes year to year. It does. And it changes month to month too. So you're never going to get the real relevant, you know, current up to date, um, track in, in a sim, but it is still a, a critical, tool that you can use to re-familiarize yourself or, or change up driving style by using a sim. But I think nothing beats real world experience, honestly.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, well, that's cool. What would be your recommendation? So I, I, I got a 15-year-old who just came into my office and I think he grabbed some dirt bike pants. I don't know why his dirt <laughs> bike pants are in my office, but <laughs> and he, and he went out. So I got a 15-year-old who would love to be a, a professional race car driver. So, so what does he need to do?
0: Um, I would say, you know, think about, um, what exactly that means to you as a person, you know, is it, is it, uh, you know, what exactly, what angle would you want to work yourself into in terms of what series, you know, what's your ultimate goal, um, and be realistic about it. I mean, you know, I was 16 years old and I was fully accepting of the fact that I was never going to drive for formula one teams period. It just wasn't going to happen. There's no way you're too old for it, believe it or not. And the guys that they pull from are very far along with karting or junior open wheel series. And it's just, there's too many people and not enough spots and the, the budget demand. And, right. And you they have, live in you Europe, have to, have to be in Europe <laughs> period. You have to, um, and it's, you know, so that's, you know, something that candidly is probably unattainable. And even for me, I'm, and I'm totally cool with it. You know, I don't want to be a Formula One driver. I want to be endurance sports car stuff for sure, because I think the the longevity of it, um, is, is promising for the future. Uh, you know, there are some, some series out there that are definitely in, in decline in terms of interest from the public. And IMSA is, is one that is, is only rising. And it's because the cars are, are close to OEM uh, manufacturing on the streetcar side and the car races all are true testaments of engineering, and uh, it's diverse. You know, there's not a single make chassis. Uh, you have Corvettes versus Porsches versus Audis versus Lamborghinis versus Ferraris versus Cadillacs versus Acuras and Mazdas. Blah blah blah. There's more. There's more manufacturer involvement in in some series more than others, and the where they where these series are trending, you know, you have to look at. Um, so you really have to plan it out even before you think like, yeah, I want to be a professional race car driver, but you have to think first, you know, what exactly does that mean? Because there are different types, there's different versions, um, and, and everyone has their own kind of game plan about that.
1: I don't know if we've thought that far. (laughs) Uh, Um, yeah, we've, we've pretty much unfortunately thrown out the, uh, the opportunity for formula one driving, I guess. Right. (laughs) Um. So how, how does, <laughs> yeah. How does, uh, how did the Autobahn play? Do you, how do you feel that that played in, in your, in your career progression here? And, and um, what do you think of, of overall the, the yeah, opportunities? The, so there? Autobahn
0: afforded me the opportunity to actually start, uh, my driving career and to get good enough and to learn more about it to the point where I was able to, sort of coach up myself at new tracks um, and and know what good racing is versus bad racing uh, and how to race other people. All of that was allowed through Autobahn itself, the club, uh, because I was there so often just getting laps in. Uh, you you learn something new every time you're at the racetrack, for sure. Everyone says that because it's 100% true. And uh, Autobahn being there almost every weekend, I was learning something new every week about it. And uh, just continuously improved. And I always approached racing as something I'd want to do as a career. Um, and it's just being head down every time you're at the track and really, really pushing yourself to learn something every time. And that's, that's the approach I had. Even when I was 13, I was pretty committed about it. To be honest, looking back, I was pretty impressed with myself, uh, you know, with how much I was able to just mature through the process. And, and, you know, at that age, just still, Have the approach of I'm here to learn, not necessarily blow the doors off everyone and embarrass myself if I make a mistake. So, uh, you know, sometimes taking the conservative route is more beneficial and and for sure in racing it is uh, because you can learn so much more when when you're willing to learn, if that makes sense
1: how often are you, do you get out there now? I know you said you do some coaching. How, how often you're at the club? Yeah. So nowadays? between races,
0: uh, I still do instructing for the club, um, with their outside events or if members bring events for it for a, or bring guests for a driving event at the club, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the instructors that works with Tony and, and Ben, um, and, and Brad as well. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm down there. If I'm in a black shirt with an Autobahn logo, that's what I'm doing. Uh, but you know, I also help my dad out. Uh, and I sometimes just come down just to work on my car because I sometimes do that. So, uh, you know, just, just always in and around the club, um, at least once a week, usually.
1: Okay. And what kind of, are you working on your Miata or no, what kind of car do you have car. down there now? Just going
0: there to have a lift and, and work on stuff.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, you guys we have a we there? share,
0: uh, with the Bettenhausen garage. So we're, we keep our stuff over there.
1: Oh, all right. Very nice. Very nice. And, um, so, how can us our your fans? How can we follow you? And uh, what's the best way to to see what you're doing and how everything's going with your sure. racing?
0: Uh, so, I, I think my website is probably the best collective uh, source of information, which is just BrickCaseyMotorsports.com dot um, and then social media stuff uh, on Facebook is is Brick Casey Junior Racing, and on Instagram I have a super creative username. It's Britt Casey Junior, and on Twitter it's also Britt Casey Jr. So <laughs> any of those, uh, you know, that that's pretty easy to find. It's, it's pretty much just my name.
1: All right. Great. And how much time do you spend with your social, social media? Do you spend a lot of time working on that? Is that, is that something, is that a big aspect to, to racing yeah, right I now? I think
0: I'm not, I'm not the most frequent poster. Um, I'm more quality over quantity. Um, but I'm, I'm for sure active on, on all the social media platforms. Uh, I just don't, you know, kind of, Throw anything out there on social media; it's usually pretty much racing-related only, um, and I, I, I keep up on it for sure. I mean, it's it's uh, it's constantly
1: live, so no disappointments there. And who's all sponsoring you? Do you want to? You can take some time and thank the sponsors or or, or talk about some of those sure. if you'd uh, like.
0: So, well, at this last event, we kind of had a collective audience of, of partners, which was Road America. Um, we raced on August third, and uh, we had Audubon Country Club there. Uh, uncle bill from keely construction uh was on the car as well we also had uh <laughs> unitronic which is a canadian volkswagen group and an audi uh tuning aftermarket tuning company um really huge in racing now so it's it's been exciting to bring, bring be part of their journey into professional motorsports and then actually continental audi of, of naperville uh was, was on board for for road america as well so um, that's kind of where it's been now and Audi sport customer racing as well, um, with their, with their customer racing program and, and the teams that they support, they've been a huge part of, of my growth and, and, and career at this point. So, um, it's, it's all kind of all happening and there's a lot of people involved, but extremely grateful for all of the opportunities afforded
1: for sure. Wow. Well, it's, uh, it's been great to have you on the podcast, uh, Thanks so much for taking time out uh, of your day today to visit with us. And I'm sure there'll be a, a, I'll have a lot of other questions that will pop up. And, uh, and so someday we'll, maybe we'll do a little bit of a a follow up and talk with you a little bit more and and catch up on uh, all your your racing career. I'm
0: I'm always, uh, always game to be on a podcast for sure. So let me know whenever I'd love to be back
1: on. All right. Well, good luck at school. Your final year, uh, the light (laughs) at the end of the tunnel. Awesome. Have a great fall. Thanks
0: again for having me and looking forward to the next one.
1: You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast. where your host, club member John Graybill opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.